Welcome back to Trader Talk, the podcast that focuses on trading education for beginners and experienced traders. Each episode, we will sit down with a trader to discuss various strategies and tips to improve your edge, as well as the risks associated with trading and investing. Thank you to my sponsor, eToro, for powering this series. eToro makes trading easy by giving quick access to the world's most popular digital currencies with low fees and social trading features in one simple app, allowing you to trade and invest on the go. Hey everyone, welcome back to Trader Talk. I have my buddy Credible Crypto here with me today. How are you doing today, Credible? Good, good, Wendy. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and kind of school us about what you do. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. So first and foremost, um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give us a little bit of background of yourself. Sure. So I go by Credible here on Twitter. Um, many of you guys know that already. Uh, I started trading a few years ago, primarily equities and stocks. Um, back when I didn't really know what crypto was and didn't pay much attention to it. Um, initially started off with tech stocks because I like to invest in what I know. So I was big on Shopify, got into it when it was 30 something dollars. Uh, of course, now it's over 800 and there's a long story around that. But um, yes, yeah, so initially started trading equities, tech stocks primarily, and then uh, slowly started, started looking into crypto. Uh, it was actually a really interesting story how I got involved with it. I had a, a best friend's younger brother who texted me one day and said, hey, should I invest in Bitcoin? Um, because he'd oft, often come to me for investment advice. And at that time, I'd heard about Bitcoin um, in college quite a few times, pretty much ignored it the entire time, kind of dismissed it, assumed it was a scam like many people do. Uh, and he brought it up to me and then I asked him, hey, what price is it at? And he said it was close to $1,000. And I said, oh, you've missed the boat. It's over. Like, don't even bother investing at this point in time. Uh, and then a few months later, I had a family get together and a cousin came up to me and started talking to me about Bitcoin. And she said her boyfriend was really involved with it. I said, well, what price is it at? And she was like, oh, it's at $3,000. And that's when it kind of clicked. I was like, I just talked about this a couple of months ago. And it was at 1000 bucks. Now it's at 3000 I keep hearing about it. I've been hearing about it for years. It's not going away. It's appreciating in value. Maybe I should actually sit down, go on the internet, and find out what this is all about. And so that's kind of how I got involved with crypto. Uh, and I bought my first Bitcoin right around three dollars to $4,000 from there. Okay. When did you decide that you wanted to trade like stocks and equities and all that type of stuff? So I'd always been involved with businesses my whole life, literally since I was in pretty much as, as, as long as I can remember since like middle school, I've been involved in, in, in trying to make money. Basically I used to flip video games when I was little and that grew into flipping iPhones and uh, that grew into fixing iPhones and, and all kinds of stuff. So I've always been involved with businesses and so I had a lot of money that I was sort of accumulating and just saving away for the right investment to come along. And um, initially, my thought was, hey, let me wait for. So in 2008, when we had that massive crash, uh, my family was obviously affected by it. I was too young to really know what was going on. But I remember that going through that. And after that happened, I thought, OK, now that I have some money saved up, um, I'm going to wait for another 2008 like event to happen and I'm going to invest it in real estate. That was the plan. When I was young, because I really didn't know much about investing at the time and I didn't know where to put the money. I just knew that at some point, at some stage of my life, there would come a time where I'd find an investment that was worthy of all this money that I'd been saving. So I was saving it up. And, um, and then uh, I realized, you know what, the markets are going up. Housing values are going up. I don't know when this next crash is going to happen. Maybe I should start looking into other potential investments. And that's kind of what got me involved in stocks and, and equities and seeing what else was out there to put my money in because it was just sitting in there for years and it was accumulating. Uh, and that's when I got into stocks. And then of course, from there, I eventually made my way to crypto. 
That's actually a very impressive story. I love young entrepreneurs. I started selling things when I was pretty young as well. I was able to fund um, my community college career by selling used um, designer clothing on eBay. So I definitely respect the hustle. I think That's it's awesome. I think it's it's really cool. It's always cool when um, young people are able to kind of figure out, hey, there's a need for this. Let me go ahead and figure out how to to make money doing that. So that's very admirable. And I kind of feel like, um, I don't know your whole entire story, but I kind of feel like that motivation, essentially that entrepreneurial spirit kind of pushed you to become an investor and to kind of take control of, of your money and to see, okay, well, maybe my savings account isn't yielding enough return. So let me go ahead and try and put it in different things. Is that correct? Absolutely. There was definitely that, that idea that, Hey, like there's tons of ways to make money out there. And I had been doing it in my businesses and I started an Amazon business and, and made good money off of that. So I knew that I, I can put this money to work somewhere. The question was, how do I do that? And I've explored all these routes in traditional business. Maybe I should look into the investing route. And of course I'd heard so many stories about people making money off of stocks, but I'd also heard stories of people losing a lot of money. So I was always a little hesitant and, uh, and, um, and then finally decided, Hey, you know what? I, I should be able to do this. If I can do what I've done so far, then, you know, investing in stocks and, and if I really put my time and effort into studying it, I should be able to make that a profitable venture too. So that's, that's definitely what got me interested in it. So when did you decide, Hey, I want to become a full-time trader. Or, hey, when was I re or when were you ready to become a full-time trader? Because me myself, I trade like part-time and it's more of a hobby now because I have so many other things going on because yeah. trading, it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of dedication, especially when you're dealing with the psychology of the market and the emotions. And a lot of people think, okay, well, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to be a professional trader and I'm going to make all this money because I trade Bitcoin and it's not the reality. That's not the case. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, so fortunately for me, because I've been involved in business all my life, I've managed at this stage of my life to have a, a decent amount of residual income coming in. So I have my businesses that are still running and I've managed to, for the most part, automate them to where I don't have to spend the whole day working on them. And I have this residual income coming in, which allows me to put my focus and put my mind wherever I want to. So in this case, it was trading and getting involved with the markets. And so when this opportunity came along, I treated it as a full-time job uh, because I didn't have to work a nine to five. So I took that time that I would be working for someone else and I invested it in learning how to trade and, and studying the market. So that, that ability to, to have that residual income coming in kept me from having to worry about my next, you know, where I'd pay my bills from. And then that allowed me to focus on this particular, uh, this particular market to, uh, to put my time and effort into that and, and, and really just treat it like a full-time job. So I think for maybe three to six months from pretty much, uh, I'd wake up, I'd hit the books, I'd hit the internet, I'd start studying, and I just grinded for three to six months um, on, on trading, really. That's all I really did. I just stayed at home and grinded pretty much. Um, and so that kind of, I know that's not a, a luxury that everyone has. I know a lot of people are working full-time jobs and trying to balance this at the same time. And totally understandable how that can make things a little bit more difficult. And I'm sure it will take more time for them to get to where they want to be. But I think that's all it is. It's a matter of time. So whether you put in, you know, whether you put in 10 hours a day or two hours a day, as long as you're consistent and you stick to it, I think you'll definitely see growth over time as well. That's actually a really good message to give to people. Like when I first started, I had just, my daughter was really young. Um, I had gotten to crypto, to Bitcoin, like the end of 2017. And I was like, okay, well, I need to learn how to trade because I'm going to be investing my own money. So I would just stay up a little, like an extra 30 minutes every night and just read and read and read. And then when I had, you know, time when my daughter was napping, I would go ahead and I would like, you know, pull trading view up and I would like just start, start drawing lines. And, you know, I start to, started to understand the market. So if anybody's watching this or listening to this, if you have a full-time job, 
trade part-time, learn part-time, just take, take an extra 20 minutes out of your day. Or, you know, if you're having trouble getting enough money to like, to start trading, because you do need to actually trade with some capital after you learn how to paper trade and whatnot, you know, don't go out to dinner one night a week or, you know, skip lunch and take that extra 20 to 50 bucks and, you know, start playing with it. Exactly. Exactly. So my next question um, for you is, so what, besides Bitcoin, what are, what other assets do you trade? So I like to trade, I like to trade on leverage um, and, and I still manage my position size, of course, but I just find it more appealing to trade on, on exchanges that offer me leverage opportunities. So mm -hmm. I primarily stick to the majors, Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP. Occasionally um, I'll, I'll go hop on Binance and trade some altcoins, but primarily it's going to be the majors that I like to trade. And uh, I like to mostly stick to higher time frame trades. So I'll do either I'll do either swing or position trades. So trades lasting anywhere from a couple of days to pan out to maybe longer trades that take maybe a week or two weeks to pan out. I prefer that as opposed to sitting on the computer for most of the day and, and scalping, which I also find to be more difficult. So for me, my personal strategy is higher time frame trades, and I usually stick to the majors. I think that's a pretty good strategy, and the reason why is because anybody that's watching this, if you guys have a full time job or you have a family if you trade like higher timeframes, like my best trades are always my spot trades. They're always like when I wait for Bitcoin to kind of bottom out and I'll kind of like scale my way up and then I'll just like, I'll hang out, I'll have my position and then I'll swing it later. Those are generally my best trades. Even when I margin trade, I don't, those don't perform as well as my spot trades. And I'm able to, to make enough spot trading and swinging it long-term to where I don't have to constantly day trade. Sometimes I like to, sometimes I like to degen out, but you know, depending on my schedule, it's not always possible. So I like that you're, that you gave that advice to kind of take a look at the larger timeframes. A lot of times people, especially in crypto, we're so concerned about what everything is doing on such a smaller timeframe. We don't zoom out and kind of look at the bigger picture. Um, so as far as do you, do you trade other assets? Cause you said you got into investing like stocks and whatnot. Is there other assets that you trade besides crypto? Yeah. So at the moment um, I've recently, maybe over the last three, three months or so, I've been more involved in, um, in two particular sectors in the traditional stock market, which is pot stocks and uh, uranium stocks. So those are, those are my focus. Again, those are long-term investments. So I wouldn't say I'm actively trading them per se, because they're more of a buy and hold sectors, but um, I've, I've, I've stayed away generally from the tech sector, which is what I initially started and I used to love. Um, but I've generally stayed away from it because I feel like equities are um, at the maybe the final innings of a major market bubble. So I think we might push up and it could be for six months. It could be for a year or two years. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I do think we're in the final innings. And I prefer to invest in a sector that's at the bottom, at the bottom of its market cycle, as opposed to one that's potentially topping out. So while my parents are really interested in investing in blue chips, like uh, in the tech sector, like Amazon and Apple, I personally won't touch those, but we did manage to, I did manage to pick some of those up for them on the last big dip. So they're really excited about that. Um, and they're up quite a bit, but for me, I prefer to stick to those sectors that are, that are down in the dumps and that have most of the potential yet to come, which for me, I think the, the pot sector is ready for a rally after it's been, I think about three years now, charts look great. Um, and fundamentals are just going to get better over time with that sector. And then of course I'm big on the uranium sector as well. Same deal. It's been, I think 10 years or so since the last bull run and um, we're at the absolute bottom and um, it's pretty much a waiting game in my opinion for those sectors now. With those types of sectors, do they have cycles just like crypto does? Because generally with crypto, it's like every four years, I want to say, because um, generally it coincides with the halvening. But do, do um, pot and do uranium, do they have cycles like crypto does? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think every market sector does have cycles. The only thing is that crypto moves at a speed at which none of those other markets are currently moving at. So crypto is kind of like the cycles are on steroids, right? We see like three or four cycles in 10 years. And then for Uranium, for example, the last bull run was 10 years ago. Now it was a massive bull run and we're talking about crypto-like gains. I think one of the stocks that people like to talk about is um, Paladin. It went from like a penny to $10. So that's like a thousand X or something like that. Yeah, it's it's insane. So it, they each sector seems to have its own cycle. It just seems like they're occurring at different uh, paces. And then the pot, pot stocks had their first major cycle in 2016, 2015, 2017. I think it topped out around there. And that was, again, like crypto-like gains. We had stocks go from a dollar to over 300. So similar types of gains. Of course, it took a longer amount of time. And then it's been, I think, yeah, it's been about three, three, four years of a bear market since. So I think everything kind of has these cycles. It's just that crypto is kind of on hyperspeed pretty much. So do you like, cause I, I've never traded traditional stocks. Like I had a 401k when I had my job in healthcare. So I've contributed to that um, however much I could. And I kind of pay attention to it cause it's just kind of sitting there. But when you're looking at traditional assets, do they have like a consolidation period like Bitcoin or I don't want to say Bitcoin, but like all the other shit coins do where like they literally bottom out, they consolidate a bit and then they run. Um, they do. I think that, I think because of uh so I would say like, depending on how mature or immature the market is, these things are more easily visible and apparent. So for example, in the uranium sector, they definitely have similar consolidation phases, except it's not so, I would say crypto is just, it's just, it's easy. Like the, the way that the charts look are, are almost predictable in a sense. You see the same patterns repeating over and over again from coin to coin. And we don't see that much uh those many similarities in these other markets that are more mature and more developed. So in pot stocks, I would say after crypto, you have pot stocks, which are the most immature because they've only gone through one cycle and they're still relatively small in a relatively new space. Um, so you can see the, the flow, the ebb and flow on pot stocks through these cycles is very clean and clear, similar to how it is with crypto. Um, but then you go into something like uranium and, and every chart kind of looks different, kind of has its own style and its own way of moving. So I think there's definitely... Um, similarities, but I think because crypto is so new and still so immature, in my opinion, uh, the markets kind of all flow really, really nicely. That actually makes a lot of sense. One of the things that I tell people, because I do a weekly Sunday night stream where I get on and I talk about the Bitcoin market, I talk about the weekly close or the monthly close if it's that time of the month. And I kind of, you know, I do like daily updates. But one of the things that I tell people is that when you're interested in alts or you're interested in Bitcoin, each coin moves differently. Like a lot of times you'll see the same type of patterns, like the consolidation pattern and then the pump, you know, whatnot. But at the end of the day, each, 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 pro- I like to call them products. Yeah. I don't, I don't like, it's just easier for me to say, to articulate it, but each product, it has its own like little groove to where it'll move different. Like even like, even if you're looking at like DeFi coins or like privacy coins, like each crypto moves differently. And I'm not hundred percent sure why that is, but I just know that they do move differently. So it's good to kind of, if you're, that's why I always tell people like trade like maybe one or two things at a time. Don't start trading all these different altcoins because you're going to get, it's just going to be too much, especially if you're doing it part-time, but that's just me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's another thing, especially with risk management. And, and another reason why I am hesitant to trade all sometimes is because ultimately Bitcoin is king. And if Bitcoin decides it wants to head down and head down quickly, and if you're in 10 alt trades, you're just going to get hits, hit stops mm-hmm. across the board. And all of a sudden you've lost 10 to 20% of your portfolio. So it's definitely a fine balance. And it's exciting to see these altcoins pop off and go 50, 100 a, or 50, 100% like, you know, in a few days. But it's definitely important to, to remember risk management and, you know, limit yourself to how many positions you're taking at one time, especially with alts. Because if Bitcoin decides to make a big move, it could hit you real hard, real quick, for sure. 
So as far as like when, when you started, when you decided, Hey, I want to do this full time and whatnot, like where exactly did you learn how to trade? Like, like I'm talking more specifics, like was there books, was it YouTube videos? Like, did you have a family member that helped you? Like any resources that you can kind of give to people listening or watching? Sure. So I started, um, I definitely, the only book I've ever read on trading, there's only one book that I've ever read. And that was uh, Frost and Pretcher's uh, Wave Principle, which is about Elliott Wave. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually read any other books on trading. It was all through the internet, um, literally all through the internet, uh, besides that one book. And I did actually join a couple of paid groups when I first started. So when I first went from stocks to crypto, when I first bought my first Bitcoin, I decided to join a couple of paid groups. For me, and then pretty much everything I do in life, it's all about efficiency. So if there's a task that can be done and I feel like I'm not doing it in the most efficient way possible, then I get frustrated. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. But everything that I yeah, everything that I do, it's like, am I wasting my time here? Like, can I do this in a more efficient way? And if so, let me do it that way. So with trading too, it was like, okay, I there's so many ways that we can learn trading. What's the most efficient way that I can do this? And I thought, let me pay someone who's done this for years, who knows a lot more than I do. And let me have them there. So if I have questions, I can ask them and get responses immediately. If I, if I need help, I can get an immediate response as opposed to me having to Google search every little question that I have and read through 10 different articles to find the answer to my question. I thought, let me pay someone who's done this before, who has the knowledge. And I think that will save me a lot of time and time is money. So it'll balance out. And that's ultimately what I found. So I think in the first two to three months, I learned the bulk of trading these crypto markets because I was in a group and it taught me so much so quickly um, i definitely would not have traded for anything else and then at some point it got to a point where my growth kind of i, I kind of grew out of the group i was finding that what i was learning was no longer sufficient for what i needed and i wasn't finding the answers to my questions that i needed and so i left the group and i then pursued more advanced uh, concepts and ideas but just to get started with the basics i think if at all the best time to join a group is when you're new because you have the most information that you can absorb at that point and there's so much information there Um, It's always nice to have a sounding board to bounce ideas off of and someone who's been there before to answer those basic questions Mm -hmm. that you can get up to speed with the really basic stuff and then delve into the more advanced stuff after that. So paid groups are a pretty hot topic in crypto because there are some that are just not really ethical. Um, And I personally, I think I'm for paid groups. I think that they're great. I think that if they're providing, whether it be calls or whether it be education, I think that people do deserve to be compensated for their time. But there are some that are not really ethical and and whatnot. So what what kind of advice or what kind of, um, I guess, advice would you give to somebody who's interested in starting a paid group, but also scared that, hey, there's an anonymous person on, on crypto Twitter and they may, you know, run off with my money sure so i think um i think for me i think there's an important distinction between a signal group and a group that focuses on education because i think even even with a signal group the reason why i was never keen on starting a signal group is because even with a signal group no matter how good your signals are or no matter how you you know tell people there's a entry here stop loss here target here um no matter how, how well you manage your risk, the chances that that guy following your signals is managing his risk, in my opinion, is slim because people that are looking for exclusively signals are the ones that just want to make money quickly and they don't care about the, they don't care about understanding what they're doing. They'd rather just, just make money. They want to put their money in, they want to get it out and they want to make it quickly. So the chances that they're following those risk management tools that you've given them are a lot less in my opinion. So there's always that concern where if you're, if you're providing someone signals, there's always that concern that he's not managing his risk and he could find himself in hot water very quickly, even if you're a good signal provider, because losses are part of the game. We all have losses, but it's a question of, are you managing your risk so that those losses don't bring you down to a point where you can't get back up? And I think that's the biggest issue I have with signal groups specifically. Um, 
then there's the groups that focus on education where the whole idea is we'll provide some signals, but we're here to make sure that you're learning the proper way to trade, not just following my signals, but understanding why I'm taking these trades, understanding the reasoning and the rationale behind entering and exiting these positions, understanding how to manage risk, teaching people how to fish essentially, rather than just, you know, throwing the bones here and there. So I think there, there is a big distinction. I'm sure there's, there's signal groups out there that are legitimate and that are profitable and, and that's great. Personally, it's not for me, um, but if, if it's there, I would, I would say if you're going to open a signal group, just make sure that you emphasize risk management, position sizing again and again and again and again, because that's going to be vital to the success of your clients, I would say. I agree with you on that. It's just, it's so hard sometimes to kind of judge and say, okay, well, this is a good group and this isn't a good group. And then you have people on crypto, on crypto Twitter, like, oh, this person's a scammer. This person's not a scammer. And it just gets, a, it gets a little bit hectic. So you guys, if you're interested in joining a pay group, which I've got no issue with pay groups, especially if they're teaching like educational stuff, because like Credible said, it's good to have a network of people, especially if you're brand new. It's good to have a network of people you can bounce ideas off or you can ask questions because sometimes when we absorb information online or, you know, watching YouTube or reading a book sometimes it may not be clear and sometimes you actually need to like verbalize it and kind of you know get feedback from someone else or maybe have somebody else reiterate that information in a way that you can actually understand it because at the end of the day you're investing with your own money it is your responsibility to do your own research, which I know that sounds like a meme, but it's your responsibility to really, you know, to understand what's going on. And if you're not doing your due diligence, then you're going to get wrecked and you're not going to, you're going to lose your trading stack and have to start all over again. So I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, so for you, do you have like an edge or a secret that kind of sets the bar higher or, you know, makes you more money? Um, I think the, uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's much of an edge or a secret, but I think it's important to focus on what works for you. Um, I've seen on, on crypto Twitter, I mean, there's thousands of traders and there's thousands of methodologies and techniques that these traders use. And it's easy to get caught up in seeing all these different techniques and thinking, hey, that technique looks really cool. I didn't have such a hot week. Let me try out that technique because that guy's making money. It seems like he's making money hand over fist mm -hmm. every day. Let me go try like Ichimoku this week or Next week, let me go try order floor or whatever the hot thing on crypto Twitter is. But I think that it doesn't hurt to try these things out and to learn about them. I'm all for seeking knowledge. And I think the more knowledge you have, the better it is. So it doesn't hurt. But at some point, you want to find something that you're comfortable with and you want to stick to that. And it doesn't hurt to sharpen your edge or improve on your technique over time. But it's important to always avoid getting caught up with I mean, I've seen people with like 30 indicators on their charts. And for me, that, that just, that would just confuse the crap out of me. So mm -hmm. it's like, for me, I stick to a few key concepts that I know very well that I've been using that I found to be successful. And I just focus on that. And I think that's what everyone should do is in their, in their initial journey, go try out different methods, experiment, see what works for you, and then find out something that, that works for you and try to keep it minimalistic. If you can kind of focus on two or three different concepts, I would say. And I think avoiding the clutter and avoiding and exorbitant amount of signals and indicators and stuff like that will, will help you in the long run. I agree with you. When I first started, I was using like stochastic and RSI and Bollinger Bands and all this stuff. And like for me personally, using more indicators when I'm trading alts works better just because a lot of times the markets can be unpredictable with those, especially if they're dealing with really low cap stuff. But like when I trade Bitcoin, I'm just using support and resistance lines. I'll throw on like the whole MACD just because it kind of gives me an idea as to where direction is going. But I agree with you that sometimes, you know, more is less. Uh, so you had mentioned that you have like a couple, like two or three things that you use. And you also mentioned that you use Elliott Wave. I know 
not a whole lot about Elliott Wave. I get people that tag me on Twitter and they're like, what, Wendy, what about this with Elliott Wave? And I'm like, I am not an Elliott Wave traver. Do not ask me. I don't have a good answer for you. I just know with Elliott Wave, it kind of like, cause my, one of my friends, she uses it and like, we'll, we'll compare charts sometimes. And a lot of times like the, when I guess the wave down or the wave up will kind of coincide with my support and resistance levels. But uh, do you kind of want to go over and talk about Elliott Wave just a just very, very briefly. And then maybe some of the other indicators or some of the other tools that you use to trade. Sure. So I think, um, of course, with Elliott Wave, there's, there's obviously uh, lots of misconceptions yes. and a lot of people that hate it and a lot of people that love it. And it's a very interesting method, but to make things very simple and clear, and I, and I made a YouTube video on this as well, but to make things simple and clear, really all Elliott Wave is, is, is a study of market structure on various time frames. So when we talk about Elliott Wave impulse, an impulse is simply an uptrend or a downtrend. Um, for an uptrend or a downtrend, you need higher highs and higher lows, which is all an impulse is. It's a, it's a high and then a, and then a, um, and then a low and then a higher high and a higher low and then a higher high to break that prior higher high. And that creates a trend, and that's a typical Elliott Wave impulse. Um, an Elliott Wave correction is um, is a three-legged move because it, it's it's an inability to form a trend. So instead of getting a five-wave move, which is a trending move, you get a three-legged move and then you reverse because the market was unable to form a higher high and a higher low to form that trend to the upside or the downside. So it's just a it's just a way of putting trends into perspective over various time frames is all it really is. Um, and so if you can, and all the rules are essentially based around that. Um, really when it comes down to it. So um, I, I would say for someone who's interested in Elliott Wave, it, it can get quite complex, but I think mm -hmm. the most important thing that you should take away from it is the ability to identify when a market is trending and when it's simply making a correction before it resumes the prior trend. So either the market is trending in one direction or it's having a dead cat bounce before it continues. Um, and so being able to identify the difference between an impulse and a corrective structure bottom line is I think the biggest thing you could take away from LA Wave, if anything at all. And um, it's, it's not necessary that you learn the entire method inside out to understand those things and to distinguish between those two things. There's other ways to tell whether something is trending or not, or whether something's impulsive or corrective. But I think that's kind of the biggest thing that could help you in your trading. So even for me now, um, some people try to map out every little move on every little time frame through Elliott Wave. And I find that oftentimes there can be multiple counts that are valid. Um, and so trying to map out every little move using Elliott Wave can be confusing for most and not actually beneficial. So a lot of times I will ignore the, the small cluttered movements and just focus on whether this particular movement is impulsive, which means it's trending, or whether it's corrective, which means I can expect a reversal. And if I just focus on the bigger picture when it comes to Elliott Wave, it kind of gives me a sense of the, the macro direction of the markets, um, which is, I think, the biggest benefit to it. For example, I've been bullish on Bitcoin since 2.1K saying that that was the absolute bottom. And after the run from 3.1 to 14K, that move based on LA structure told me that we've essentially started a new bull cycle, which has had me buying the dips since 14K across the board with no concern essentially. So I've been loading up at five, six, seven, eight K. Um, and, and that's because of my knowledge of Elliott Wave and being able to identify these impulsive and corrective structures, I would say. That's so. actually that's actually pretty cool. And the way that you kind of broke it down in my head, I'm visualizing like since we had that last drop, I forget what the bottom was. I want to say it was 4.6 if you look at the weekly. But essentially, we've been in an uptrend since that. So the trend the trend is bullish, even though we're having these little pullbacks. So I probably should stop shorting the market. <laughs> but it, that makes sense to me because I'm just I'm envisioning those zigzags um, in my head. So that totally makes sense. And we are it is essentially a bullish trend. I have no idea why it is bullish, just because with everything that's going on 
on economically. I just don't know where people are getting the money to invest in the market. Maybe it's that stimulus check. I'm not 100% sure, but I, yeah. I hear what you're saying loud and clear. Um, so my next question, what would Grandpa Credible, what kind of advice would Grandpa Credible give to Baby Credible the first day he started trading? So this is the advice I would give to Baby Credible. I don't think Baby Credible would listen because Baby Credible is a new trader and he wants to make money quickly. Mm -hmm. But Grandpa Credible would tell him, learn to manage your position sizing and your risk ASAP. That should be the first thing you do before you even start trading with leverage and margin. Understand what it means to properly size your positions and, and manage your risk because Baby Credible had, had knew nothing about that and it took a, a few big losses for him to finally realize that there's no way to gamble yourself to victory here. You have to be consistent and you have to grow steadily and slowly. And, and I think although every single new trader hears this and is told this and is told how important risk management is, it doesn't really sink in until they take a few big hits. It seems mm -hmm. like that is really what it's going to take to get most new traders to stop trying to gamble and to stop let emotions rule their decisions and finally settle down and decide they need to do things the right way. So as far as risk management goes, like what, like how do, what do you do to manage your risk? Because you sound like a very busy person. You have these residual income businesses going. You like to trade uranium and pot stocks and then crypto too. So how are you able to manage the, all your risk? Sure. So with the crypto market specifically, um, the way that I, I like to do it is with any trade, I like to risk not more than 1% to 2% of my capital per trade. Um, what this means with crypto markets specifically, because the markets tend to move along with Bitcoin and in the same direction as Bitcoin, it generally means if, if I'm taking three or four trade setups here, um, all, you know, long biased, and if, and if Bitcoin happens to fall the other direction, there's a good chance I get stopped out of all four at once, which would hit my portfolio pretty hard. Mm -hmm. So generally what it means is I'm not entering more than one to two trades at a time because of this or from entering more trades, I'm using a smaller position size, risking less than one to 2% per trade to make sure that if I'm in five or 10 trades, I'm not gonna lose five to 10% of my portfolio if the market goes the other direction. So I think that's important because in markets that are, for example, trending up, it's tempting to enter four to five different alts at once with you know risking two to 3% of the time because mm -hmm. everything's going up and you wanna make money. And it seems like it's okay because, hey, I have my stop loss set, I can only lose you know one or 2% but it's one or 2% per trade. And chances are, if you get stopped out on one alt, you might get stopped out on all the other four. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden that one to 2% goes to five to 10% and all of a sudden you found yourself in over your head again. So I think it's, it's important with risk management, not only to manage your position sizing, but manage the amount of trades you're in because crypto markets specifically tend to kind of flow, ebb and flow in the same direction based on what Bitcoin's doing. So there's that. And then of course, it's nice to diversify to other sectors like, a, like the pot stocks, the uranium stocks, because they're moving to their own tune. They're not moving with Bitcoin necessarily. So you can take trades on those, on those markets or different market sectors, uh, multiple trades on different market sectors. But when you're trading everything in one market sector, it's important to kind of limit the amount of positions you're entering at one time. So you guys, you heard that. As far as risk management goes, make sure to pay attention. Try not to risk too much. Use a stop loss. And Think about diversifying. Just because you are a crypto trader and you learned how to trade in crypto like myself, it's okay to step outside your comfort zone and start to trade other things because the markets are a little bit different. Other markets tend to move slower than cryptocurrency and that can kind of give you a little bit of a breather and you can take longer term positions in those. So I think that's great advice that you gave. Um, so let's, I got a couple more questions for you. Let's talk about your best and your worst trade if you feel comfortable discussing those. Sure, so my best trade uh, my best trade was probably just um, in uh, 2017 when I first got involved with crypto. I bought some Bitcoin 
and then I bought some XRP at 22 cents. And um, this was kind of right around the time where the markets were obviously, actually this was the peak of the bull market because XRP actually ran, it seems like after Bitcoin topped. So it was the peak of the bull market and um, I bought some XRP at 22 cents and I held it, I held it all the way till, uh, so XRP ended up hitting like $3.50 and coming down. And then I sold everything at 222. So I had 10 times my investment. And of course this is, at a time where risk management wasn't on the top of my head. So I went into the very large, fairly large position and I made a lot of money um, off that 10X, 10X trade. That's the most memorable one because it's kind of what, what the, my first biggest win in crypto, which was really exciting. And I remember to a, XRP went from 22 cents to 75 cents. And I was telling my buddies, you need to buy it, you need to buy it, you need to buy it. And at this point, they weren't able to get accounts because Binance or whatever Bittrex had stopped allowing the users to make accounts. So they were all scrambling, trying to make their accounts and XRP was just pumping. And it was, it was a great time to be in the markets at that point. So that was definitely one of my most like memorable biggest wins uh, in crypto. And then biggest losses. Uh, it's funny because again, this was before I had proper uh, risk management developed. And uh, I had my iPad and I was flying, I was going on vacation or something and I was in the plane. And I had, uh, I had uh, connected the Wi-Fi or data or whatever it was. And so I was sitting in the plane trading on my iPad, like on the way to vacation. And I was just like DJ leveraging like mad. And I was making tons of money. And I, and I thought I was like, I thought I was like, God, I was like, all right, I'm going to be like a multimillionaire in like a week the way I was going. And it was just like, just, just no, no like clue about risk management, just using 50x leverage, 25x leverage, whatever it was. And I was making a lot of money. So on the way there, I made tons of money. And then on the flight back, I did the opposite and I lost all my gains because again, I was doing the same thing, just going extra high leverage. And it was one particular position where I got way overconfident because I'd been killing it the last week or so. Mm -hmm. And I was so confident that there's no way the market doesn't go in my direction. It's going to go up. There's no way it doesn't. And so I didn't set a stop loss because I wanted to avoid getting wicked out before the big move in the direction that I thought it was going to go in. And it was a giant short squeeze and before i knew it that it was just a huge candle in the other direction and i took a, a major major loss and so um luckily because i had made so much more money the first the week prior to that it, it came out to about net even but it taught me a lesson that gambling is not going to get you you know where you want to be and it's got to be slow and steady that was the biggest hit i took i was fortunate enough not to have blown an account before i learned this um, right. too but it was a big enough loss to make me take a step back and realize I needed to, to settle down a little bit. I've blown accounts. So those are, always, that's always a fun time. But I, me personally, when I travel and when I go on vacation, I try not to trade because my mind is like in a million other places. So yeah. you guys are watching this just because you go on vacation doesn't mean that you have to trade, take a break, relax. That's what vacations are for. And don't, and on the plane, don't trade on the plane. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Well, I think that's all that I have for you today. Thank you so much for coming on. And do you want to go ahead and shill yourself? And, you know, do you have a service? Like, do you want people to follow you? Do you have a YouTube channel? Any of that type of stuff? Sure. So I do have a YouTube channel that I post on occasionally. And um, it'll usually when I post it, it's going to be major, major market updates. Um, I haven't posted in a while because everything that I seen the last update pretty much stands. But when there's some new major development in the markets where I think the market might be changing direction, and I haven't covered it, I'll usually make a pretty decent video um, on YouTube and post that there. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, of course, at Credible Crypto. On YouTube, I'll be at Credible Crypto as well. And, um, and I do offer an educational group. And if you're interested in that, you can always DM me on Twitter for more information. Um, we've been running it for about a year now. It's, it was a bit, it's been a year since May, I believe, that we launched it. So I do have that as well. 
um, with a focus on teaching you guys how to trade for yourselves and see how I analyze the charts and how I trade them myself. Awesome. Thank you so much again for coming on and I will have all his um, information down below so you guys can go ahead and follow him. And if you want to join his group or you want to subscribe to his YouTube channel, thank you again. Thank you, Wendy.